We are starting a new series. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Um, what we want to do, this is a series called Tried by Fire. And what we want to do is uh, help you create a theology of suffering. I know, heavy start, I know. Um, I, we, we live in a culture that has a very skewed, misunderstood, misunderstood version of how we take a good, loving God and the suffering that we face and suffering in the world and discover how, how do the two work? What does it look like to understand the role of suffering in the Christian experience? Where is God in your suffering? Why does he allow certain fires to cook in your soul? Where is he? Um, if you're in an environment, whether it's up on an airplane or climbing up a mountain on an athletic field in a hospital, when you're in an environment that is exerting way more than you have to give, what is presented to you to survive or to receive the oxygen that you need, it's a portable oxygen tank. It's a, it's a mask that you put on. And in putting on that oxygen, it allows for you not just to survive the moment, but to thrive in it. And what we want to do over the course of these next 12 weeks, 12 weeks in First Peter, buckle up, here we go. It's going to be like Netflix seasons, all right? So um, we might break it up for a couple weeks, come back. But um, between now and December, we are inviting you to allow the book, First Peter, to put oxygen on your face and to be able to see the king, to see Jesus the way that he wants you to see him. For you not just to read the book, but for the book to begin to read you. As it pertains to understanding, to seeing your suffering through a lens that God has created you to see him. And, and what, what we're going to find, the hope of this is that you'll begin to breathe in the oxygen of confidence. Like, what is God's ultimate purpose for suffering? You'll begin to breathe in the oxygen of courage. So much about suffering, it feels, you feel stuck. You feel like you're just surviving. You feel like you're in a fog. Everything about suffering places you in concrete. But how is God leading you into and through courage as you suffer? What about the oxygen of perspective, to be able to see the lens and the, and the vantage point of your suffering in, in its proper place. And ultimately to see the oxygen of form, form, formation. Now, what if the fire of suffering is actually, it is allowed to form Christ in you? Amen. That's hard. And it's messy. But this is what we're going to discover, that we are designed to be tried by fire. And so I want to start us off in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, and I want to call this message Pulling Back the Penny. Pulling Back the Penny. It'll make sense in just a second. If you would stand as we dive into this book, 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, I didn't tell Charles that we were, as I'm staring at verses 1 and 2, let's, he's going to hate me for this. 
But let's just start at the beginning, okay? Verse 1. We're, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5, but um, Charles, I apologize. Um, Peter. Oh, wait, did, did he get it? Yes! He said, oh, no? Okay, never mind. <laughs> Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and for the sprinkling with his blood. Verse 3, blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that is a sentence. Lord, bless the reading of your word. Amen. You may be seated. Just as a side note, um, verses 3 to 12 is one big sentence in the original language. His name was Naaman Friends. Naaman Friends. Um, I grew up in this area. I went to Longfellow Middle School near McLean. And there was a young man named Naaman who was in all of my classes. He was a cool kid. I was not. And uh, I, I liked Naaman, the only problem is he didn't like me. Um, and so we had this unique relationship where he bullied me and I just took it. Um, and so for about a month or so, we had this, I would go to class and he would talk about my mama. He would talk about my haircut. He would talk about my, my shorts. Uh, I mean, everything. Name and friends went after me with a vengeance. I can laugh now because I've cried. I'm kidding. Um, and so I, I got to a place where I'm like, you know what? I, I got to bring, like, I'm, I'm done. I don't know how to handle this thing with Naaman. So I bring Pops into the game. And I'm like, Dad, um, Naaman has been going after your boy for like, I don't know, forever. And, and I, like, it's really hurting me. It's frustrating me. It's overwhelming me. I feel like I can't breathe when I'm in class. Like, I... I just am, I'm done, don't know what to do. And so for the first maybe like week or two or three weeks, he just, he was, he offered the arms of safety and encouragement and support and was there and was there and was there until week three. Week three, I remember I came home from school and I was, I just was, I think I was crying in my room or something and he came in but he came into the room differently. He came in with a pillow. I'm like, man, is my dad gonna like suffocate me? Like, what is going on right now? And he came in with this pillow and he's like, all right, buddy, here's, here's the thing. Let me remind you who you are. You, you are Bendix. And with Bendixes, uh, you, you have a courage, you have a legacy of courage that you, can, you, you are made to face certain challenges. And so here is a, a pillow. Um, and I'm going to teach you how to fight. 
Now, my dad's a pastor on staff here, so just he's not here, which is probably a good thing. But since this is being recorded, this is going to get fun. Um, so so he, he taught me. He said, all right, this is, this is a, a pillow. And I just want you to know that, one, this is who you are. But number two, it's, it's time for action. Amen. So there was pain. There was identity. And then there was time for action. And so what Pops did is he, he taught me in a, a 30-minute go of everything he thought I would need to just survive with name and friends. And then he asked, um, what bus stop does he go to? Because we, we, we rode the same bus, right? And so he said, now, which one is it? And I, was, and I told him, and he said, I'll, I'll see you there. So... So I'm like, what, are you serious? You're like, you're going to actually come watch your son, like, potentially get pummeled? I mean, that's brave. So, so I, he said, I'll see you there tomorrow. And he gave me the time. I was like, oh, okay. And so all day, I'm like, I mean, I, something about the day. I mean, I'm, I was like, this, like, this is it. <laughs> like, it all ends today. And so I, I, uh, I got on the bus, and then the bus stop came. Off goes Naaman. I was behind him. And, and we hit the ground, and I dropped my book bag. And I looked back, and my dad was in his white Mazda protege outside the car like this. And, and I'm like, all right. And I was like, Naaman, you've been going after me for a month. It stops right now. And some, something happened to me as a seventh grader that hasn't happened since, thank God. But man, I somehow, I just, I connected. And then I tackled, and then I was on top of him, and then somebody pulled me off. And I, I remember turning around to my dad, and my dad, to this day, he says, are you sure you're done? And so I turn around and name it. I'm like, name it. Are we done? And name it keeps walking. I'm like, pops, we're done. There was a moment in time where pain met identity in a time for action. This is the book of First Peter. This is what we are going to discover. That there is pain that this church is navigating, real pain. And we have, in these verses especially, we have a hope that the God of, of all creation who is identifying himself as a father, as a father, wants to enter into your pain, to be present, to give you identity and action. So here we have in First Peter, we have uh, a, a church in modern-day Turkey. Think of, of the Black Sea. And it is a collection of churches, very diverse. Ironically, it's, it's uh, non-Jewish churches. And these are churches that around uh, the, the time of maybe 58 to 62 AD, this is when a letter is written. This is also during the time, if you know your, your history, this is the reign and rule of Nero. 
And so his hatred towards the Christian faith is widespread. And it has gone from Rome, where Peter is writing, calls it Babylon, in chapter 5. And he is, is writing to a, the dispersion, a collection of, of churches. And it's a, it's a letter that would be passed around from one church to the other to the other. And these churches are facing a persecution that, is, that we do not have a context of. It is overwhelming. It is affecting their jobs. It is affecting their families. It is affecting the idea of sending their kids out and then wondering, are they going to return or are they going to be swept up and taken? This is an all-encompassing, overwhelming, exhausting pain. Wonder if you are experiencing something similar. Something that is so close, so all-encompassing that you can't see beyond it. It's a lot like if I were to take two pennies and I were to put them up against my eyes, I could literally block all of you because something so small as a penny is so close in all I see in the world my full vantage point, all of my perspective, all of my attention is no bigger than the penny. And the pain is so overwhelming, the penny is in front of them. And the question is, who will help pull back the penny? Who will help them pull back the pain, the real suffering, the challenges that they're facing that are all encompassing? Who will help them have a clearer perspective both of their pain but of the God of their pain. The one that's behind it. Not the one that's necessarily causing it but is using it. See, the, what's at stake here is if they only see the pain then they make assumptions about the God of that pain. That God doesn't care. He's not there. He's not, he's not involved. But now who is going to pull back the penny to help them see to see clearly. Enter Peter. And there's no one who is better to talk about pain, and suffering, and ultimately the, the way by which you fail in pain like Peter. We know a little bit about him, the one that was at the charcoal fire. And what does he do at the charcoal fire? He denies the king three times. The pain or the suffering, the opportunity to navigate that effectively is there. It's in front of him. It is close. It's in front of him. And he fails. And there's no one who understands the restorative work of a God of pain like Peter. And so even in the writing of the book of 1 Peter, you have the gospel being proclaimed. That, that God takes someone who has failed, restores them, and says to a group across Asia Minor, be strong, courageous, stand strong, look at the author and the perfecter of your faith, and hold fast to that one. He's telling them to do something he didn't do. And yet he's restored and empowered and authenticated to do just that. I love that. That's, that's the gospel. 
you have this author, he's Peter, and what, the way that he writes, the way that he navigates this, is what he's doing is he's going to use, and you're, you're going to find it as soon as you dive into it, you're going to find Jewish language, analogies, pictures from start to finish. I'll give you a few. Like he uses the word elect. It's Israel language. Inheritance. Abraham language. Flock. That's David Psalms 23 language. He uses Isaiah 53. He talks about a holy nation. That's Exodus language. What is he trying to do? What he's saying is that in as much as God was with Israel, committed to Israel, chosen, like he chose them, he delivered Israel in as much as God was with them. Guess what, people of Cappadocia, Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, in as much as he was with them, guess what, he is with you in the same way. Like he is fully committed in the same way he was with Israel. He is turning around to you and looking at you with the same commitment and confidence through the person of Jesus. And he's saying, because of this man, we're with you in the same way that the God of the Old Testament was with all of these characters. And at the center of the entirety of the book is this lens or language of identity. So what Peter does is he pulls back the penny of the power of suffering in these first three verses. And he helps us and ultimately them see that God has set us into a new family with a new identity and given us a new living hope. Those are the three things that if you think about suffering, what will pull you out of that to see clearly? What is going to be with you to now give you a perspective that you need not just to survive the mess, but to be able to thrive in it? Like, what can God give you right now that will put that, that pain that is, is haunting your kids, it's haunting your marriage, it's all you think about, it's what you wake up to, to be greeted by, it is that longing to be, to be pregnant and you just can't. You can't. You want to be married. You can't. It's pain. It's just everywhere. It's a backpack that you walk around with. You can't get past it. How do you do it, Corey? How does the Bible teach me to get beyond it, to pull back? New family, new identity, a new living hope. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pause. Do you remember when, I don't, if this question applies, um, I remember just thinking back a few minutes ago of what it was like to have our first kid. Do you, do you remember how long it took for you to get your house ready for that first child? I mean, we painted walls. We had in these intricate, like, toys and um i mean it took us probably a, maybe like four three four months of thinking and saving and i mean just it was all it was an exhaustive process to prepare for a new family what peter is going to let us know is that god has been preparing for you to be a part of this family with him as daddy for millennia it has been an intentional process. 
and that this place of family for you is the place by which you will flourish and now that will be the jumping off point by which you see your pain through the lens of family. He says, blessed be God. It's uh, Baruch Adonai. It's 27 times in the Old Testament. That would have been a common phrase, but Peter just doesn't say Baruch Adonai. He, he continues, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He what, what he does is he takes, now he inserts the God, but now he inserts the Father, the relational cornerstone, the foundation of this new family, and then his son, a son that is equal to the Father. And see, this is really important because if you look at John chapter 5, verse 18, this is why Jesus was killed. This is what it says. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, this is, you, don't, you may not think that this is vital, but this is so important for Peter to say to these individuals being overwhelmed and slaughtered by pain and suffering that the God of all creation has a son equal to himself that now he is sent unto the earth and has overwhelmed everything overwhelming you. And that one man is with you. That one man is, is who you're living for and that one man is worth dying for. You see, this, this is, is so vital for these individuals to consider, oh my goodness, we've got God as a father, but now he has committed himself so much to us and is now made himself so available that he sent his very son, sent himself to now navigate and endure and face and be overcome by the very same things that I am currently facing, which now gives this church hope to face anything. You see, this is so vital for you to understand that you can face it because Jesus did. That the God of creation is now inviting you, including you, into this family and has the power and the authority to face whatever you're facing. You see, what, what this does when it comes to this whole idea of God as, as like being included in a new family helps us see that family, this family, is forever. Now, I, I don't know what context you come out of when it comes to family. Most of us, that word is a trigger word. We assume the worst. It is, we have asterisks around it. It has deadlines or it has expiration dates. What God is saying about his family is that this family is a family of permanence. It's a family that has security and longevity. It's a family that will not stop, will not be shaken, and is undefeated. It's a family where you're safe. But he also says that, that in this family, a family where you are literally in a straight jacket of grace. That, that when, when you come into the family, like when my sons were born, when my kids were born into this family, they had Bendix as their last name. Will anything take that last name away ever? No matter what they do, no matter where they go, no matter if they make me proud or not, will their last name ever change? 
It is a name of security for them that reminds them that they're loved and that we're not going anywhere. How much more the family of God? Like how, how much more would that now allow for you to pull back the penny? To maybe begin to see God through a different lens, just a little bit of a different lens, because this is a, this is a God, a father, who is now promising to put a straight jacket of his love around your life. What that means is you can't get out of it. You will try. You can't get out of this family. This is the permanence, the security that many of us are wondering about. You're longing to hear. Guess what? Hear it. Allow it to wash over. This is a family of permanence. But he, 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 it, it also leads us to consider the idea that this father, he sees and he knows. Before the foundations of the world, God placed his love on you. You have a father who knows you and knows everything about you. That you have a father who has written every aspect of your story because every aspect of your story is connected to the operation of his grace and the final completion of the work that he is seeking to do in your life. Every part of you is known and he still chooses you. Every failure, every success, every win, and guess what? The father looks at you and says, I'm your father. I mean, just, just what if that were really true for you? What, what risks would you take? What confidence would you have even when the penny is close? See, this is, this is like you're starting to get the fact this is real. This is a God who is fully committed to those who he calls sons and daughters. That every place that you are in, every season, Every physical place, every emotional place, every spiritual place, every point of depression, every point of success, every place that you are in, the Father knows that location. He knows the situation. He knows the circumstance. He knows because all that I am, all that I face has been written in his book. You, you've, you've got to get your arms around the security and the sovereignty of this God who knows you, who is coming close. That everything I face, I can say to myself, my father knows this. Amen. You can say that. That's what he was, that's what, what Peter is trying to get this church to finally recognize. My father knows this right now. He knows every threat. He knows every challenge. He knows about my resources. He knows about my questions about my job. The father knows and then the, the not, not just the father, no, the, fa the father sees. I mean, the security that I had when Pops was sitting on his Mazda protege, the security that I had knowing that if things get really bad, Pops is going to step in at least to pull me out, at least to get me to the hospital. Like, Pops is there. The security that I had knowing that, that dad sees, that is what Peter is, is layering into this church. Father knows, the Father sees. But then he goes from a new family to now a new identity. Verse 1 or 3b, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. According to his great 
mercy. You see, Peter is helping this church see that the entire Old Testament, all of it, is a spiritual biography. Every situation, every location, every king, every judge, every movement of that biblical history was marching toward this point in time when Jesus would come and he would provide new life. Like everything is now reaching this crescendo moment, but why would Jesus do this? What authority does he have to now offer new life, new identity for you and I? According to his great mercy. He didn't do it because he saw something inside of you. As much as we're told that there's something special in all of us, he didn't do it. He didn't save you, give you a new identity, give you new life because of that special thing, whatever you think that is. There's nothing particularly noble inside of me. There's no certain strength or even weakness that now Jesus comes close and, and offers this new life, this new identity. His sole purpose was not found inside of you. It was found inside of him. It was found inside of him according to his great mercy. And the fact that God would ever give new life to people such as us is an argument for his mercy. Even the idea of mercy, that mercy is the Old Testament uh, word has said. We talked about that a lot. It's, it's loving kindness. It's when the one person that you should expect nothing from gives you everything. And this has said, this mercy is the longing of the human heart. I mean, even Peter, when he's writing this, must have remembered all of the moments when he was with Jesus. And guess what people cried? Father, Son of David, have blind Bartimaeus, Mark 10, 47, have mercy on me. Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, 22, have mercy on me. Boy with a demon, have mercy on me. Two, uh, that was in, in Matthew 17, 15. Two blind men in Matthew 9, 20, 20, 20, 27, have mercy on us, son of David. The garrison demoniac in Mark 5, 19, after he's, he's, he's now in his right mind, he's clothed, Jesus says, go home and tell them how the Lord has had mercy on you. You see, this is what the human heart is longing for. We're longing for someone to take the, 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 the pain and pull it back so that we can see who we are truly made to be, not through us, but through mercy. You see, every time that God entered, encountered his creation and offered mercy, it usually always led to a new identity. The woman with the disabling spirit in Luke chapter 13, verse 16. I mean, we, most of you know the story. She said, a disabling spirit causing her to be bent over for 18 years. She's at temple. Jesus is preaching. He stops preaching, sees it from a distance, brings her close and said, Ought not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, be healed, touches her, cleanses her, and has mercy on her, but that mercy brings new identity. Zacchaeus comes right before he dies. He's, he's a week away from his death, last moment of his ministry. What does he do? He comes to this one man, sees him in a tree, brings him down, a tree that he'll go up in less than a week. And what does he say? 
This son of Abraham has, was lost, has now been found. Every time mercy is extended, it gives new identity. A new identity from a God whose family you can trust. A, a new identity that you can rest on. A new identity that you don't have to depend upon yourself to create it or to live it out. A new identity that you can live into. A new identity that you were made for. That this is, this is the narrative of what Peter is saying. The only way that you can handle the sufferings that are coming is you've got to be able to pull the penny back and see the, the pain in light of the identity that Christ is made for you to become. He's trying to prove it. He's trying to prove it. Peter is working hard to help them see that Jesus is the one that does the heavy lifting for their identity. You see, where sin accuses us, the mercy of Jesus acquits us. Where sin exposes us, the mercy of Jesus exonerates us. Where sin demands that we do it all, the mercy of Jesus declares that God paid it all. Where sin takes everything but gives nothing, the mercy of Jesus demands nothing but gives everything. You see, this is a, a, a resounding message of mercy, and that mercy now gives you new identity, a new identity that you can trust. But here's the reality, that identity will either be self-defined where it is created by you or self-denied with your identity being created and given by God and Jesus. You are going to create it or you're going to receive it. There's no other options. And we live in a world where you're told, be self-defined. And yet the more we work to be self-defined, the more we feel the pressures and the pain and the suffering crawl up and get closer Closer, closer, what if you were made to pull back the penny and consider what is the identity that Jesus has made for you to live into? What would it look like for you to receive it? What would it look like for you to trust it? What would it look like for you to surrender and submit to it? What would it look like to actually have a sexual ethic that lives into that identity? What would it look like for you to actually have passions and 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 and, and pursue relationships through the lens of that identity? What, if, what, what would life look like if you took all of the longings and desires for what you want to do in life and consider God's, God loves your calling and is more passionate about your calling than you are? What if you were to now trade you being self-denied or self-defined, now being self-denied, where you go, you know what, I want to surrender and come up underneath this identity that God, you might just be wanting to give to me. Pulling back the penny, looking at a new identity. And then he brings it to a conclusion with this, at least with this text, with a new and living hope. He says, verses three to five, to a living hope. So we've been, we've been given this new identity. This new identity leads, it is even possible as a result of a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That what Peter is saying is that this new and living hope 
It's delivered to you as a result of the resurrection. The resurrection isn't just something that Jesus does, it's who he is. It is not just one moment, it's one moment that affects every day. That, that this is, that, that what Peter is saying is as a result of, of one man defeating death in the grave and now the world being turned upside down, that you have a new living hope that's been delivered by that resurrection that impacts and affects how you operate when it comes to the pain and suffering that is crawling all over you, that you can now, through this living hope, pull back the penny, see it through a new lens. What, what Peter is saying is that, is that there's actually a spiritual trust fund that nothing can touch, that Jesus has created, that you may not be rich in friends, you may not be rich in experiences, you may not be rich in wealth, rich in gifts, but you are marching toward incalculable riches in Christ Jesus. This is what you are made for. This is what you now have the opportunity to wash over your soul every day. You're in a new family with a new identity. And through this real resurrection that we talk about so often and it feels so distant, allow it to come close. Allow it to be as, as overwhelming and impossible as it actually is because this is how new hope is birthed. That we, that we actually have a spiritual trust fund. Spiritual, it, it, it's God's very own inheritance that he, what the text said, he is actually responsible for guarding it for you. God is, he has riches that are his own that he has set aside for you. And as you are walking in, receiving, extending, now being, being washed in this new family with a new identity and a new hope, man, he is guarding and protecting riches. But just don't, what, what if you were to have like a, a spiritual trust fund, but then let's just go one step beyond. Like imagine that you went to a bank. It's the best bank possible. And that bank promised to put guards around your money to protect it. But then they raise the stakes. And they come back and say to you, we're going to hire a dietitian, a trainer, a physician, a counselor, everything that you need for you to flourish so that you can enjoy the resources you're giving to us. This is what Peter is saying. The God of all creation is not just holding up an inheritance for you. He is giving himself to guard you and protect you in the midst of the suffering that you are enduring. He is involved. And even the faith that you have to believe in him, guess what? That too comes from him. It's initiated by him so that you can believe in him. Everything that you have, what Peter is saying, everything is now rooted in himself and he's fully vested to help pull back the penny, to pull it back for you to, for you to see the family that you are now being born into, the identity that you can receive. You will be self-defined or self-denied, one or the other. And then there's, there's, there's a new hope. 
There's a new hope that gives you a fresh perspective, a fresh confidence, a fresh strength, even while you're being swallowed up by the current pain. This, this hope, this hope is not baseless superstition or blind optimism. Please hear that. This is a Christ-centered hope. So where do we go from here? I, I, I wonder if that you actually need to hear that the truest thing about you is that you are part of a new family, given a new identity, flowing with a, a, a hope that's alive. Has pain loomed large that it produces identity amnesia where you forget who you are? Has, has your pain come so close and been so long standing? Has the suffering that you've been navigating wore you out so much that you have forgotten who you are? I think we've all been there. We just don't even know anymore who, who we are, what this whole thing's about. We've been, we've been worn out. Do you have amnesia in your identity? What will be the gospel that you preach to yourself tomorrow morning? What if the gospel that you had available to preach to yourself was a gospel of a loving and zealous redeemer who will not leave you alone until every aspect of your personhood has been fully refined into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ without weakness and without blemish. There's an identity that gives you a call to action in the pain. We no longer have to be paralyzed by it. We can wake up from the stupor of suffering and into hope and worship. Where, where is your real security being found? Where do you look for the inner sense of well-being? What provides stability when things around you aren't stable? If the disorder isn't here, it's coming. So my invitation, and as you walk out, I've got pennies for all of you to grab one. And I want you to remember, as you go home, to consider, Lord, what would it look like? One, what is the pain? What's the pain that I can't see past? Where, where, what, what is, what, what has so been, what has been so constant that I now, I, I can't, I just have wrapped it up into my identity. I wake up and I think about it. I go to sleep and, I, and it just becomes a part of me. What would it look like for you tomorrow morning to wake up and to look at this penny and to say, Spirit of God, will you help me preach the gospel to, to myself, one? Will you remind me that I'm in your family with a father who will not leave me, with a daddy who knows everything about me, with a daddy who sees me, that I am now, I've received an identity that I will not punt on. I'm going to work that identity. I'm going to discover it. I'm going to receive it. And it's going to lead me to a living hope. What if every, for, for this week, you read 1 Peter chapter 1 and you look at this penny and you say, Spirit of God, remind me the truth about me today. Remind me about the truth about the pain that I'm facing and now usher me into baptize me afresh with a living hope. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you 
We thank you for, for the person of Jesus. He's alive, he's active, that he has been a forerunner that has gone before us, facing every pain, every tragedy, every heartbreak, every betrayal. Some, some of you have been betrayed. And you, it is almost impossible for you to trust again. And that is the pain that you, it just haunts you. It's like it wraps itself around you like an ankle bracelet. It's just, it, it, it just, it attaches you to that pain. You cannot get past it. This is the day where you acknowledge it. And you, you allow for the Spirit of God to pull back the penny. For some of us, it's, it, it is the fact we haven't fulfilled our own expectations. That, that, that's our pain. That's the suffering that we, we are just reminded of. We feel like a fraud or a failure. The Spirit of God wants to begin to reveal that to you and lead you into the security of who you are in the family that you belong in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you're going to speak to us. We thank you for this series, the joy that it is to study your word. It's alive, it's active, and it's sharp. In your name we pray.